Welcome to the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. Today I have the honor of speaking with Rabbi Asher Lopatin, who is the president of Yeshivat Chovah Torah in New York. And I would have said the flagship institution of what's called Open Orthodoxy, but I hear that that's actually changed, at least in terms of terminology. So first of all, Rabbi Lopatin, thank you for joining me. It's great to be here, Rav Scott. We go way back to Bethel and Newton, so it's really wonderful. And I remember following your your growth in learning, and then uh, as a Rosh Hashiva, Yisraelia Torah, it's a real honor to be on, on your new show with you. Well, it's an honor you. to have you here, too. Thank you so, so much. And let's jump right in. I heard that you no longer want Yeshivat Chovah Torah to be called the flagship of open orthodoxy. In fact, you don't want to really use that term anymore. What's going on with that? What's that about? Well, for me, it's so important that Chovah Torah and the thinking that we represent, the learning we represent, is an integral part of the orthodox world. And uh, where we stand in the orthodox world is very much in the modern orthodox world. I want us to have an impact on the modern orthodox world. I want when people consider themselves modern orthodox that we are part of the conversation of what is modern orthodoxy, what's the psaac of modern orthodox rabbanim, what are the, what's the thinking, what's the hashkafa. So I think to do that, we need to label ourselves orthodox, modern orthodox. And for me, the idea of a new label of open orthodox, as much as I admire the idea of openness, and as much as I think Rav Avi always intended it to be a methodology of learning where everything is on the table, still I think that now it's pulled us away when people think of open orthodox. They think it's something different than modern orthodox. Well then, can you define modern orthodoxy and what people think open orthodoxy is that it's not? Yeah, um, modern orthodoxy is a is Torah true Judaism as it's always been is open to the world around us, is in a struggle, in a dialectic with the world around us. Ideas that are around us push us to question and to look at the Torah and to look at our tradition in different ways, but we use that tradition to guide us and to tell us what to do. But there's a back and forth between the world around us and our Torah. You see it in Rambam, you see it in the Nevi'im, you see it in Gemara, certainly. You see it in the Nitziv, you see it in Hirsch. So... We call what we call modern orthodoxy is really just a recognition that the world around us, the thinking of the world around us, the people in the world around us are not a bidiyavid, are not something to be afraid of, but there's something to embrace and to engage. That's what modern orthodoxy is. And again, we call it modern orthodoxy because of the dealing with the modern world, but it's really what I think Yiddishkeit and our Torah is all about. Now Open orthodoxy, I think people think is something, is a new way of thinking, a new, you know, kind of something that's not a break, perhaps, from the tradition change. I'm all for new understandings of our tradition, of, of Chazal, of the Shulchanach, a new way of understanding what the Torah is telling us, but I'm against thinking that it's a change from what the Torah has told us. So I think open orthodoxy implies that it's really a break from the past. I want to let people know that what we're learning here at Chovei Torah is the tradition, is the Masoret. We're just reading it in sometimes more creative ways, sometimes more, um, it may be different ways than it's been learned before, but 
it's Chidushe Torah that are part of the Masorah, part of Orthodoxy. In that case, how would a place like Chovei Torah differ itself fundamentally from a place like Yeshiva University, which also calls itself a modern Orthodox institution? So I think there's some Rashi Yeshiva at Yeshiva University who would feel very comfortable being at Chovei Torah. And likewise, there's some Rebbeim at Chovei Torah that would be comfortable being at YU. What I think distinguishes us the most is we take the world outside as Lichat Chila, whether it's pastoral counseling, the idea of listening, that you have to learn how to listen to people around you, whether they're in the hospital, whether they're Holocaust survivors, whether uh, they're people in hospice, or whether it's being involved in different, you know, things going on, protesting Charlottesville, thinking of uh, Myanmar and what's going on with the Rohingya tribe. There are Muslims who are being ethnically cleansed. It's embracing that world around us. And um, I know that we do that here. I know that that's an integral part of our conversations here. How does our Torah help us understand that world around us? And how does that world around us or just, again, listening to a one-on-one with a, a pastoral patient or individual, how does that impact our understanding of halacha? So that is an integral part of Chovei Torah. And I think Yeshiva University has elements of that, but I'm not sure it's an integral part of the thinking of the Yeshiva University uh, Rav experience. Now, a lot of what you're describing sounds like it's in the realm of social action, as well as certain halachic ramifications of that. Most people, when they think about Chobah Torah, at least in the circles which I know here in Israel, think of it more as being a progressive halachic place. In other words, rightly or wrongly, they say, oh, that's the place that believes in women's ordination or believes in giving extra roles for women or other people who may have felt excluded from the tradition, finding ways to be more inclusive. In a halachic level, how is the way you see halacha different that you're willing to do things like that, if you say that that is what you're willing to do? You can answer that as well. And how is that different the way you look at halacha than a place which is much more reticent or they would call themselves traditional? I'm sure you probably would disagree with that characterization. But how do you see that? So I am a Talmud of Rav Aaron Soloveitchik. I have my smicha from Rav Aaron Soloveitchik. And so I'm very much connected to that brisker world and the world of the Nitziv, Volozhin. The Nitziv was a huge advocate. Even in Parsha Nitzavim, uh, he talks about chidush b'halacha. Uh, whenever it's la'asot, uh, whenever it's the menorah, it's always chidush b'halacha. There has to be some kind of progressive thinking. There has to be some kind of push for saying, can I look at this Maimer Chazal? Can I look at this Shita? Can I look at this Gemara or this Medrash or this Halacha, this Ramah, this Shach in a different way because of whatever I have going on inside of me that comes from the outside? And it seems it has a whole Mahalach about the menorah and all that, Chochmur Chitzoniot. So that's really what we encourage, chidush v'halacha. It's a good thing. In fact, the Nitzim says it's a necessary thing to have chidush v'halacha. It's not enough to just learn things that are mukubal that have been passed on. You need that, but it's to be uh, praised. And the truth is, even in the Tell's base medrash, I'm sure if someone has a chidush, they're excited about it. Now, sometimes these chidushim are broader and are more, uh, there's more of a nafkamina ladina than others, and they have to be challenged. And you have to say, well, that's an interesting chidush, but really, is it the Torah? 
is it what Allah is saying, or is you just, you know, making it up? Is it not consistent? So you have to challenge Chidushim, but that's really, I think, the Derech Torah, and it's a critical part of Torah, and so when you're looking at new understanding of women's roles, new understanding of uh, on gender issues, new understandings in how we relate to those who are not orthodox. How Can you go into a reform shul for different things, for a funeral, for a, you know, after you've already davened, can you go in? All these kind of questions are critical to ask and critical to challenge. And I want to say one more thing. I welcome, and I've always welcomed, the challenge that comes from uh, maybe, let's say, the Haredi world or the more uh, lowercase conservative world to challenge us on these issues. Should women be rabbis? Is there a problem? Is it kol All these kind of things. Those, those challenges to the chidushim are critical, but it's it's got to be a conversation. It's got to be an open, respectful conversation. And that's how you get progress in Torah. So it's not progressive in politics to be a, a liberal progressive uh, person, but it's a growth in Torah. And it seems as we need that, and you get it through this pilpul, through this argumentation. Now, I think that some people probably would argue that, in general, that chidush that the Nesiv is talking about, they may not be correct, but they would say it's coming in from within. In other words, the Nesiv would be starting off, or whoever might start off, looking at the Torah and developing, and wow, I now see where it's leading me into new directions. But some people would say that what you're doing in Chovave is the other way around. You're first deciding what direction you want to go in and then trying to justify it from within. Now, admittedly, the Aruch HaShulchan did something similar, so I'm not criticizing it inherently, but would you say that that is a valid concern or not a valid way of looking at what you do? I think it's a valid concern to make sure you're not letting the the outside world, with its morality, with its fashion, with its way of thinking, control you. You need the Torah to be a in juxtaposition. The Torah, ultimately, the word of Hashem is guiding us and is controlling us. The word of Hashem is what is driving us and what is leading us to our actions. But the Nitziv himself says that it's Chochmol Chitzonio, it's external sciences that are symbolized by the menorah that get us to come up with Chidushin. So you need that dialectic. You need the outside world to say, wait a second, let's say, I'll say, big an easy one, is Ben Sormore, is Halachot Aviyarni Dachat, or all these kind of things. Is that uh, wiping out the Zion Amamim? Um, is that moral? Is that ethical? That doesn't seem to be. But then you can't leave it there. And that's a mistake that many make. Okay, then I'm going to reject the Torah. No, you say, but I need the Torah is the word of God. And halacha, Torah Baalpeh, it's been passed down, is the word of Hashem. So how are we going to resolve these two? David Hartman uh, struggled with that. In his book, The God Who Hates Lies, he seems, you know, he serves the whole halacha of a Kohen marrying a Gioret. And should she be called a Zonah? And he has a lot of issues with that. But the approach that I think, the orthodox approach, the modern orthodox approach, is rather than saying, well, they are, they're incompatible, what my heart tells me, what my 21st century morality tells me, is not congruent with what the halacha says, so I'm going to reject halacha. That, I would say, is unacceptable from an orthodox point of view. 
what you can say is that I have to look at that halacha over and over and over again. In the end of the day, the halacha, as we understand it, as today's generation understand it, understands it, will trump everything. But what the outside world does is get you to look at it more and more. And so therefore, when you look at roles of women, is it true? I mean, it seems that the Rambam and the Mishnah, women should not learn Torah, at least Torah about that. Seems that they shouldn't, but we examine it. Afochba vafochba, and then we see nuances and really psakim uh, that we didn't see before. So it's definitely, and it seems says it's God. There has to be an influence from the outside, but the ultimate decision is from the inside. Is from the word of Hashem. So what do you do when, in a case like women, it's a little bit easier only because. There's a lot of ambiguity. There are multiple opinions. But when you have something like homosexuality, that's something which the Torah is extremely unambiguous about. And you can look at the outside world and what people are now looking at as a moral issue. And there, there's no way you can and discover some nuance which we hadn't seen before, at least as I understand it. What would you do about a situation like that? Good question. This is my lopat in all humility, Anius Daiti. My machlokas with the great Rabbi Joel Roth, who's a great conservative halachic thinker. He says, and sort of as you imply in your question, look, certain things are ambiguous in the Torah, we don't know, in Chazal, we can fiddle with all that. But some psukim and some, you know, psakim are clear, and there's nothing you can do about that. I disagree with that, and I think Rashi would disagree with that as understanding of Pshat, Nechama Leibovitz. Nothing, you can, cannot say anything is clear. You know, the most clear thing in the Torah is that God has a nose. Because <laughs> it says it all the time. It's, I mean, come on. And, and other things, fingers and ears and all that. So the Rambam threw that all away and said, uh, no, you know, it's not. it seems clear, but it's not. So even the psukim specifically that talk about Mishkav Zachar, first of all, the psukim are not totally clear what it's referring to. Second of all, even in the Gemara, there is a machlokas, whether it's referring to an androgynous or not. And thirdly, and this one, I, I can say it drives me a little crazy, is that Chazal are very clear, as clear as they could be, saying that those psukim are talking about a specific act, right? Kimikhobishwuferet, a very specific sexual act. So when people say, well, of course, you know, um, gay marriage, same sex marriage, that's from the Torah, just look in the psukim, doesn't talk about that. You know, the Torah does talk about us not marrying the Zion Amamin, or Gentiles. Torah knows how to say, don't marry somebody. But it's Equally clear, the Torah does not say that about same-sex partners. So, so then we have to look, first of all, why did Chazal want to be so clear that those psukim are only talking about a specific sexual act? And then we have to now look in our tradition. And I know there are statements about that the, 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 the no boat with same-sex relationships and that the Gentiles were praised for that. There's a lot to talk about with gender issues. But what I think 21st century morality does is says, wait a second, you know, why do you assume the Torah is against two people of the same gender being married or coming together, having a shutafu? Where do you get that from? And 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, no one thought, of course they're not supposed to, because the Torah says it. But the Torah doesn't say it clearly. So, 
you know, I think all these pieces, you know, it's just like um, there's like a dogma that uh, even in the very liberal orthodox circles, well, women can't say devil should be dusha. Huh? Where's that coming from? Where, you know, women can lane, but they can't do musaf. And uh, it's just fascinating. And the truth is, in as far as uh, women's aliyot and women's davening, there are questions about what, whether a woman can get an aliyah, about kvodat sibor. That's questionable. You know, Sperber and many others have shown ways around that to explain that. But a woman davening, doing shachri, doesn't say anywhere that I've found that a woman can't do shachri. So that's really clear. I think, you know, we can argue about women's aliyot, but a woman being a shlichat sibor, you know, that's not about. So she doesn't count a minion, you know, and you can ask kind of questions, but I want, you know, show me in the shulchan aruch where it says a woman cannot be the shlichat sibor, I would challenge you. So things, it's fascinating that when our mindset changes, albeit admittedly from the outside world, suddenly we look at halacha in a totally different way, and we say, wait, we thought that the halacha said this. We thought that the halacha was saying that women, sh- women shouldn't learn, or women shouldn't teach, or all that stuff, but no, the truth is, Hashem is not saying that. Chazal are not even saying that. So that's where I think it's so fascinating. I'll give an example. It's a stretch, but if you go to Brooklyn today, you know, I grew up, my grandmother lived uh, in Brooklyn and Coney Island, and Brooklyn was a dangerous place, you know, ugh, and parts of it were kind of dumpy, and now you go to the, some of those same places, it's the coolest thing to live in those places. They haven't even changed, it's safer, it's much safer, but they haven't changed the buildings, it's just cool. In Chicago, living near the L, like in my neighborhood where I was rabbi uh, in Lakeview, like no one want to live near the L, near the clickety-clack of the uh, trains. Ugh, now, whoa, it's so cool to live there. That's like living in the city, you know, it's fun. So a lot of it is when we change our attitude, something that seems so clear to us. Of course, no one wants to live near the train tracks. Suddenly, uh, not so clear. So here's my question, though. I feel like there's almost a bit of a dichotomy over here, because on the one hand, you're saying that ultimately Torah has to trump whatever our modern sense of morality is. But on the other hand, when that modern sense of morality, using the example of homosexuality we just spoke now, when that seems to go against what the Torah is, aren't we now bending the Torah and trying to find ways to make it work such that really modern morality is that which is determining what we're going to do? I'm finding a way out. That's how it seems to me a little bit. That's a little bit bending it perhaps more than it should. Well, I think it's it's hafochba hafochba. What we're doing, we are playing with it. And you know, uh, even Rav Aaron Soloveitchik used to quote the pasuk Matilin, "Later chashashuim for varotibi that the Torah is sort of a plaything. You know, it's very serious, but it's also something that we have to play with, that we have to work on, and that's exactly the dialectic. You can't just, like other movements might just break with it, say, you know, my morality tells me this, and Allah seems to be saying something else, so forget it. We have to look at it again, look at it again. In the end of the day, like the Nitzvah will say, for right now we have to paskin the way the post-scheme, the consensus is right now. But that doesn't mean that if we look at it for another 10, 20 years or 50 years, we'll find something different. It's a little bit like Zionism also. Initially, it seemed very strange, not in keeping with the Torah. And then over the years, I'm not saying there's a consensus now, but 
truth is, even in the Haredi world, there's a lot of support for nationalism, kind of. So things really do change, and it's a little bit postmodern. I do agree that, you know, and that, again, I think Rashi, a thousand years ago, is postmodern, and Nechama Leibovitz's interpretation of him, that... There's no such thing kind of as a certain shot. I just heard a conservative thinker again saying, you know, let's get to the, uh, the real meaning of it. Uh, what is the, the real meaning? There's no real meaning. God gave us this revelation, gave us this Torah, and we struggle forever to get closer and closer to the truth. And outside information helps us get closer. But you're right. We have to be honest, and I think that's where um, the free market comes into it, because Machloket, Pilpul, and Steve mentions this, I can come up with my own crackpot understanding of Mishkevei uh, Isha in the Torah or whatever, or Chazal, or women's things, that's fine, but I cannot apply that to Halacha unless I can argue it successfully with post-game there has to be that very important open market of, of ideas. And usually, I actually agree with you. I might have like, oh, I wish I could interpret this because because of my 21st century morality. I wish I could interpret away certain things of a um, Giyard and a Kohen. And I can come up with something probably, but I have to be convincing. And then it seems says... If it is convincing, it's true Torah. It's halacha l'moshem Sinai. But usually, it's not going to be convincing. Maybe it'll be convincing in 30 years. It's not going to be convincing right now. So I think you're right. We work with the Torah. We look at it. We challenge it. But I have, uh, what I like to, I have emunat chachamim. I believe that if you have the chachamim of the generation talking to each other, then it's not going to be manipulated Torah. It's not going to be just making it up, but it really is going to be, be Torah Emmet. Then let's talk about that for a minute. Obviously, Chovavei has some serious Talmudei Chachamim. There's you, Rav Linzer, Rav Katz, some people who are very, very well known. I know that some people will say that despite the fact that there are Talmudei Chachamim there, the majority of the majority of Talmudei Chachamim in the Orthodox world do not really ascribe and subscribe to the same approach. So in terms of that dialogue, is that really happening, first of all? And second of all, if it's not happening, how can people who want to poskin against the majority of the majority of poskin approve of such an action? Great. Good, good question. So I think it's starting to happen. We're actually through the Lindenbaum Center, which we have at the Yeshiva. We are connecting with Rabbanim and poskin in Israel, with Rav Bigman, Rav Sherlo. R.E. Clapper in America, and in Boston, and Sharon is part of uh, a conversation. Rabbanit Michal Takachinsky is part of it. So we're, we're starting to get a real group of people together that are going to be discussing these things. So you're right, we really have to widen the circle. It should not just be Rav Linzer and Rabbi Katz. It should be a widened circle. And what I would say, interestingly, is that there is a continuum. When there was a sock by both Rav Yisassar Katz and Rav Jeff Fox, who's the Rosh of Maharat, uh, for a giyoret, you can go to the mikvah with the baiting standing outside the room and actually not seeing her actually go underwater for sneeze reasons. Um, then Rav Ezra Schwartz, who's the Rosh of YU, discussed it and argued it, and other ones uh, argued it. So... I think there's actually more of a continuum than we think. Rav Linzer discussed it with some people, and those people discuss it with other people. And 
So there is some kind of conversation, but I think you're right. We have to work much harder in connecting the dots, really. Now, I want to present an argument, which I have heard. I've made it myself at times. I'm curious what you say about this, which is that giving women additional allowances within the halachic system is actually doing a disservice to women. I'll explain what I mean. Let's say, for example, a few years ago, there was a big issue where high school girls wanted to put on tefillin, and some people allowed it, and some people disallowed it, and it became a very, very big discussion slash argument slash fight in the Jewish community. Now, someone might argue that it's actually doing a disservice to them, because here's what you're saying. If you say, yes, you can put on tefillin, and yes, you can do other things. Let's say, for example, Davin Kabbalat Shabbat or whatever it might be. But you can't do something else. You can go Ad Khan up to this point, but no further. What you're saying to them is, yes, you belong in the realm of Tefillah Tzibor like men, but you're a second-class citizen because they can do more than you can do. On the other hand, if you say, no, you can't do this because that's simply not your role. You have your role and a man has his role. And therefore, you're fundamentally different. It's not different classes within the same room is two different rooms, and therefore each person can be a full Jew in his own sense. How would you answer that argument? I would say, first of all, I don't know what Hashem thinks the role of women should be. And the truth is, I kind of think that some women might have a role, a more public role, some women might have a more private role. We're finding that women's brains and men's brains are different on average but there are women that are more, their brains are more like men's, and men's brains are more like women's. So I, um, I'm... It's not quite binary. Right, right. Yes, and that's also right. I'm a free market libertarian, uh, and I think, like, let's let people work things out. If a woman is capable of having this amazing, powerful career and being a great mother, she can do it. It's sort of Sheryl Sandberg model. My wife, actually, Rachel, was an amazing Rebbitzin and worked with me in the shul, but was not paid as a Rebbitzin. And now she's at home with the kids and uh, she loves it. But other women are more suitable for professional careers or other things. And likewise, as far as women leading shuls and being rabbis, like, I don't have the, I don't want to say hubris, but I'm going to say hubris. I don't have the hubris to know what Hashem thinks generally women should do, or even what Hashem thinks an individual woman should do. So part of it is that, like, how do we know? We just don't know that. It's nice to say that, you know, women should be in the home and all that, and we can find Sukim for that. But Aisha Chayel, she's a very she's a businesswoman, so women should be in business, you know. And I think in the Haredi world, some women are going into business at home even. So let's follow halacha and let's not make up kind of big sweeping things. Now, the other point that you made is like odd con. So what are you going to do? And then women want to do more and it's not right. So we had that in our shul. In our, my shul in Chicago, we let pre-bat mitzvah girls and boys do Anim's Miro together. And people said, you know, well, then they're going to become bat mitzvah and they're not going to be allowed to do that or any leave the davening and they're going to be upset. No one was upset. They're fine. I think if people see that we're trying to work within halacha, and we, of course, it's a struggle for equality and, and why not being equal, and we don't know. And the truth is, it might be that men and women should do very different things in shul and halachically, and maybe the halacha really is that women should not be dominating, you know, meaning long term. I know right now, in orthodox shuls, women do not lead uh, shachri, so that's a halacha right now. Maybe that's meant to be forever, but I don't know. 
And so I think that as long as I think women see that there are efforts being made to include them whenever they feel they want to be included, and halacha allows for it, like passing a Torah through the women's section. It's clearly mutter, and women can touch the Torah, and the Aruch HaShulchan talks about this. And some women, it doesn't do it. They don't, they don't want to carry the Torah. They don't want to kiss the Torah. That's fine, too. So I'm just really, let's just let halacha guide us with input that we get. You know, we, we, we try to interpret it with our input and what we get from the outside world. But let halacha guide us rather than making sort of sweeping uh, generalizations. And let's not worry so much that um, women won't get full equality, you know. And I think that's some of the other movements that really push that. If a woman wants to wear fillin', she has to wear it every single day. No, I think the Ramah says clearly women should not put on tefillin out of chumrah, machmirot al-atzman, that they should not. But if they're inspired by it, then I, the Aruch HaShulchan, I think, very clearly says, just like men want to wear tefillin a little bit longer than tefillah and keep it on for a couple more minutes, women could also put uh, tefillin on. So the problem, I think, with a lot of women's issues is we get really men especially, but women all get so worked up, like it's going to be the end of the male-dominated world, or <laughs> men are going to be uh, redundant, and you're not going to need us, and men are going to stop coming to shul, and I don't know. I'm Again, I'm a libertarian on this. I hope we men find a role for ourselves. I'm pretty confident that we'll survive. <laughs> Quote Maureen Dowd, are men necessary? I know a lot of people get worried about hashkafa when it comes to Chovah Torah. Now, everything you've said from the beginning of this interview until now certainly fits right in the central framework of Orthodox thought when you describe God giving the Torah and the Torah Shpalpet and so on and so forth. I do know, however, that people worry that there is perhaps a gray area that Chovah people, or I'm not sure what Chovah people means, but that Chovah's graduates perhaps um, sometimes cross. In fact, there was a well-known graduate of Chovah who has said and written articles that do not fit into classic Orthodox thought. What does Chovah think about that sort of thing? Is it something you should reject, or do you have a more flexible idea of what the Karimuna are? Or should there be a Karimuna at all? I think that really the, the, we have to be very strong about that. The Torah Misenai you know, in its understanding, a traditional understanding, and there are different uh, understandings of what that means, but it's in its traditional understanding is an ikar for orthodoxy, is an ikar amuna. And so I really think we have to be very vocal about that. So you don't subscribe to what Menachem Kellner says? No, I, I and not Zev Farber, or Zev Farber's understanding. It's got to be a really... Much closer to um, Herzl Hefter talks about that there was a historic moment where God connected with Am Yisrael and gave us the Torah, and you need that. So I think we have to be very strong, and I don't think I think the mistakes we've made have been not strong enough in sending a very strong message about the Ikare Emuna and about you know that. We have to keep halacha. You know, it's not... And I think one of the problems, the biggest problems is people don't realize how flexible halacha can be. And sometimes, like, the frummer you are, the easier it is to understand. You have more confidence on halacha, and you know it'll, it'll work out. Um, and I think sometimes when you don't have as much confidence in halacha, you, you need to feel you have to break from halacha. I feel very strongly no. And I'll give you an example. One is, like, you know, people say... Well, I love my reform conservative friends, but it's so sad. I cannot daven with them. 
Well, what does that mean, actually? If you go to Ashkama Minion, and it happens a lot of times, I daven Ashkama, I'm Yotze my davening, and then I can go to a bar mitzvah or an ofroth in a conservative shul. And I'm, okay, I'm not being Yotze my feel of Tibor at the conservative shul, because I feel that Chitza is, and Ron Slavichi said it might be a Doraita, uh, the Rav said it's one of the Ikre Amuna. So I won't daven. I won't be yotzei my davening in a shul without a machitza. But that doesn't mean that I cannot, if I have davened before, cannot go to a place without a machitza and sit there and sing along with a lot of parts of it. And maybe it's a tefillah nidava. Maybe there is an element of tefillah of connecting to Hashem there. It's not my tefillah chovah that I have to do in a very halachic manner. But that's a place where someone might say, Oh, I want to go to this bar mitzvah, so I'm going to daven in a conservative shul. No! You daven beforehand. You follow halacha. But surprisingly, it's not so restrictive. You can daven all of shachri for Shabbos in 25 minutes. You know, do it. And then go to the conservative shul and sit there and be respectful. And, and again, you can have an experience there that's something other than tefillat chovah. But people sometimes just don't get it, that, that life is more flexible than we might think. And, I, you know, I, I might be accused of being too optimistic and too Pollyannish, but I think it really works. And I think it just can't get hung up on certain things. So I actually think even in the shoot food ceremonies that are going on, there are, you know, Stephen Greenberg has done with same-sex couples. They're exploring where we can keep halacha strictly, and keep Kiddushin and not have it Kiddushin, but I respect, again, I'm not going to rule on it halachically, but I respect that they're trying to say, well, I want to keep halacha, but this perhaps is not prohibited. Um, in one, There's a major posek in Israel, a major Rosh Hashiva, who says that same-sex couples can have the chaverim l'chaim, and can even do a shutfut mamon. He's against same-sex marriage, but he talks about shutfut mamon, so, like, oh, we've got to step back a little bit. The biggest thing I think we're always afraid, um, and we should be afraid of Hashem. We should be in awe of Hashem. We should yirat shamayim. But don't be afraid of engaging with halacha. Don't be afraid of the world around us. And as long as we're strong and self-confident in our Torah, then I think the world around us can be a very positive thing. So I know we're almost out of time, so I don't want to hold you too much longer, but I do want to ask, that leads into the question about your vision for the future, both for Chovei Torah, which you just told me you'll be leaving after a year, but also for modern orthodoxy in general. What do you see the future bringing us? I think that for Chovei Torah, I hope it grows and continues to, to train the students and students from all sorts of both from, that come from the Gush and Hakotel and Malay Gilboa, and also students that come in through Pardes and through other ways that are coming to orthodoxy from the outside. So both elements, I hope we grow in, in, in those students. I think that modern orthodoxy in America, the biggest challenge we have to find our passion. It should not just be social orthodoxy, which um, Jay Lefkowitz writes about, where it's kind of a nice lifestyle, and we live it, but we don't really believe it. No, we have to believe it passionately. Um, we have to believe, and we have to learn, and we have to daven, and we have to come to minion, and we have to really take these things seriously, and we have to stick to kosher restaurants, and we have to look what the ashkacha is, is it a good ashkacha. Take 
these things seriously and be passionate about them, but also take our orthodoxy, orthodoxy that makes us passionate about what's going on in Myanmar, what's going on in Africa, what's going on in Israel, to help Israel. And I think we, America, American modern orthodoxy has to find this passion. I think that Israeli modern orthodoxy, whatever it's Dati Lumi, whatever you want to call it, has easier opportunities of finding the passion in just living in Israel, in going to different neighborhoods, communities in Israel, in serving in Savah, in in so many of the details of a life in Israel. So I think it's easier, honestly, to be a passionate, authentic, modern Orthodox Jew in Israel than in America. We're in America, we're worried about which college we're going to go to, our kids are going to go to, you know, where we're going to go on vacation. I don't want to be demeaning to American life. There are a lot of important issues that we talk about, but it really is, it seems to me that in Israel the question is which part of the army are you going to go to? Are you going to go to Kravi and you want to go to the prestigious Kravi? And that's sometimes done from a, maybe not such a um, selfless point of view. Maybe it is because it gets you in, but it's serving the Jewish people and it's risking your life. And America, the decision is which college can I get to that will help me advance my career and make me a better person and all that, but I think we see the difference. So it's just easier in Israel to um, feel the authenticity of a modern Orthodox life. And the challenge for us in America is to make sure we're living authentic modern Orthodox lives here, make sure our priorities are, you know, where is going to be the best Jewish life on campus? Where can I be the best Jew who has the most impact on Jews around me and Gentiles around me? Where can I grow the most as a spiritual person? So we just, we have to work really hard in Galut to make sure that modern orthodoxy is a passionate modern orthodoxy. I've been speaking with Rabbi Asher Lopatin, who's the president of Yeshivat Chovevei Torah, and I want to thank you very much for joining me today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Such an honor to speak to Eretz Yisrael and to be connected, uh, you know, over the all these things that modernity has brought us, but it's really, it's really an honor to connect with you and to speak with you and to experience your, your mind for this little bit of time. Well, thank you very much. I'm Scott Kahn, and this has been the Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com.